You're traveling through another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land, whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Welcome to An Hour to Kill, a podcast where we take an hour of your time talking about horror, and we transport it to another dimension. I'm your host, Dorian Adaholic-Brown, and I'm joined once again by the immortal Damon D.B. Weathers. Damon, how's your summer going, man? Uh, is it summer? It's it's gloomy in LA for some reason, and it's been raining, and I'm depressed because I just found out I graduated high school today, 17 years ago. Oh boy, we're old. <laughs> man, that is, that is a thought that I don't like at all. And I'm no, just it was, gonna... it was quite jarring on the, on the drive home today. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that's scarier than anything we're going to ever talk about on this podcast. So I'm just going to move on. Uh, we also have a very special guest today uh, making his first ever appearance on the show. He has a wonderful podcast himself called Backlog Brain Rot that I highly recommend. Uh, it's the man himself, Parrot. Parrot, how are you doing, sir? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk about one of my favorite shows with you, too. Yeah, it's great to have you on here, Parrot. It's, it's funny. When I originally came up with the concept for this show... I, uh, I, I was really hoping that obviously Damon would be down for it. You know, we're talking horror and I was like, man, I, I think mm. you're going to like this and I hope you do it. But if he didn't, um, and if he refused or if he just didn't have the time to do it and he only could do it once in a while, my backup plan was to get you and uh, Mac involved and kind of, you know, do, do episodes that way and kind of just cycle it off. So I'm still glad I'm able to get you guys involved. Thankfully, obviously, you know, Damon liked the idea, so you're able to roll with that too. But uh, yeah, without getting, without any further ado, we're talking about the twilight zone today. Uh, One of, I think the most influential shows of all time. Uh, Is it pure horror? Maybe not, but there's definitely a lot of very scary episodes on there. Uh, It's a lot of good sci-fi stuff. And uh, there'd be a lot of stuff that would just not exist today uh, if it wasn't for the twilight. zone. I mean, anthologies in general were just, I don't know. It's just so influential for that sort of thing. And I'm really excited to get into this and talk about it. And yeah, we each picked our favorite Twilight Zone episode, and we're going to talk about it. So generally how we're going to do that is we're going to go in release order. Uh, Damon picked something from season one, uh, Parrot picked something from season two, and then I picked something from season three. We're all going to make our tell our picks, uh, kind of give some honorable mentions if we have them. And then like usual, just dive right in and have 20 minutes to discuss it. One hour. So, uh, Damon, let's throw it over to you first. Uh, tell us what you picked and uh, your honorable mentions if you have any. Yeah. Uh, so mine is from season one. Uh, it was so hard. I I tried to not go with anything from season one, but you know, say la vie. Uh, mine is season one, episode nine. Uh, the episode's called "Perchance to Dream," and it was released November twenty seventh in uh, nineteen fifty nine. Uh, and some of my honorable mentions that I had, uh, <laughs> just like I know you two, I had quite a few. Uh, initially, one for the angels was a big one that I wanted to do. And that's actually the second episode ever. One for the angels uh, and when the sky was opened, I almost even went time enough at last, but I felt like that was a little too cliche because one of the more known episodes um, and so when we started talking about it being horror, you know, it's, it's a horror podcast. So I wanted something that was a little scarier. And to me, when the sky was opened and perchance a dream were, were the, were the ones that I found to be terrifying, uh, especially because of, especially I leaned perchance a dream because of it has to do with dreaming and waking, dreaming, waking nightmares. And that shit's terrifying to me. So those were my honorable mentions and that's what I ended up going with. 
Perfect. Really solid choice there. Uh, Pear, what did you pick? So I also struggled. I whittled it down to like 15 and then I was ordering them and I was changing my order constantly. And then I narrowed it down to like five or six. So it was kind of just a toss up at that point. So I ended up picking the episode 22 from season two, episode 17, which aired February 10th, 1961. We'll, you know, we'll get into the episode when we, when we talk about it, but this was for me, I think it is, if it was not the first, it is one of the first episodes I ever watched of the show. So I think that is what ended up squeaking out for me for my choice. But I had a couple honorable mentions I wanted to pit to, uh, I had a couple honorable mentions I wanted to shout out. Uh, the After Hours, the episode about the mannequins. That is one oh, I always, wow. always think about. Uh, Eye of the Beholder. Uh, to Serve Man would have been my runner-up. Oh, 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 yeah. And then I just had to throw this in here. I almost picked it just because I, like Damon said, I didn't really want to pick one of the more famous episodes. So I also was very, very considering, I was very highly considering going a totally different route and going with the episode Mr. Dingle the Strong, which is just one of those crazy comedy episodes. When Oh, where that he, is, uh, that's yeah, deep. That's a yeah. deep one. <laughs> oh my God, I think about that episode all the time. So I almost chose that. But yes, like you said, it's a horror podcast and Mr. Dingle may be strong, but that is not horror. So <laughs> I ended up going with 22. Yeah, we love her, uh, Mr. Dingle here at uh, An Hour to Kill. Uh, <laughs> sh- 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 shout out, Mr. Dingle. Uh, and yeah, well, obviously, we, when, when you get deep cuts like that, you know you're at the right place for just truly expert opinion here on the Twilight Zone. So, uh, But yeah, another great choice for sure in 20, uh, 22 for sure. Uh, my pick was It's a Good Life, the episode from season three. Uh, I had, you know, there was obviously many, many, many I definitely considered uh, and you know, there's so many deep cuts you can go with and so many, just so many classics. Uh, some of the other ones I considered, I mean, these guys have already mentioned them honestly, but time enough at last is just such a classic. Uh, I feel like nightmare at 20,000 feet is just a tremendous episode and probably why I'm partially scared of flying today. Uh, and then I <laughs> of the beholder as well is just such a great episode and uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite endings for sure. But I went with It's a Good Life, and we'll talk about that more when we get into the episode, but that's also one of the ones I think, like, Parrot, I watched first and just sticks out a lot in my mind, uh, and just, you know, for me, I always like the creepy stuff, and mm-hmm. that one just gives me the gives me the jeebies, so it does a good job at that. <laughs> yeah, one of my one of my early memories watching this show, I, I would always watch the New Year's Eve marathon, and that episode came on, and my little brother was watching it, and he was so stressed the whole time. And then the, the pig face showed up and he just yes. screamed. He screamed and ran upstairs to go hide in his bed. I'll never forget it. Yeah, it's a great episode. It's there's like I said, there's just endless amount of selections. And by the way, I should mention anything was eligible here. But if anyone picked anything from Jordan Peele's uh, run, they probably wouldn't have been invited on the show. So I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm very glad we uh, we didn't go that far with it. <laughs> but I still uh, yeah. haven't seen any of those keep it that way trust me (laughs) keep it that way as long as you can Uh, all right so we're good to go now here we're going to start the timer here pretty quick uh again remember we're going to spoil these episodes so if you want to know them for yourself i mean they're 20 minutes each 23 minutes each go watch them all and uh and come back and uh maybe maybe you'll get lost in the twilight zone as well uh damon you ready let's do it parrot good to go all right. So I, when I start the timer, I'll do a little bit of a countdown here. And then Damon, we're going to go right to you. So just start talking about your episode. All right. 
We're All going right. in three, two, one, go. All right. Perchance to dream again, season one, episode nine. Um, cool thing about this episode actually that I'll start off with is this was actually the first episode in the series, a whopping seven or uh, eight, nine episodes in that actually had the iconic twilight zone theme song mm-hmm. playing ahead of it, uh, which I never caught. I've seen the show in order so many times and I guess I just never noticed that. Um, <clears throat> but it is based upon a short story of the same name by Charles Beaumont. And it was actually published in a, a 1958 issue of playboy magazine. So uh, if anybody has that issue, let me know. I'd gladly buy it off of you. But of course, for the story. Yeah, know, that's of it. Of course, of course. Uh, for the articles, for the articles. For the art- in this case, yeah, for the articles. Uh, but uh, Perchance to Dream is about Edward Hall. Uh, he's a guy that's, he's dying. You know, he's, he's either going to die from a heart condition that he has. He's overstressing himself. He hasn't slept in 87 hours. And he continues to have these episodic dreams uh, about a woman named Maya, uh, the cat woman, as they call her when he sees her in a carnival in one of his dreams. Um, but the majority of the story takes place in a psychologist's office. You know, this man relates his, his insane story to the psychologist. And as you go through it, there's just so many different layers to it. Uh, you kind of can't tell, is this, is this a dream? Is this reality? Um, what parts are dreams, what parts aren't. And even when you get to the end of it and um, Rod Serling's going through his his conclusion and foray into the story, he, he brings up the nature of dreams and how dreams may feel like an eternity, but they may have only lasted a second. And I remember seeing this episode in high school and being completely terrified because I've always had such a weird fascination, not only with dreaming and sleep, probably because I don't get enough of it, but uh, the idea you ever, you ever wake up at like three in the morning in the middle of the night, and then you fall back asleep, have a dream, wake up and you think, man, it's gotta be time to you know go to work or get up and do something. And you realize it's been five minutes and that dream felt like it lasted for hours or even days or, or however long it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always been just extremely terrifying to me. So when you're watching this episode and you know, the, this man's stuck in this no win situation, you know, he hasn't slept in days. He's just completely tied up in knots. Um, and at the end, you're kind of not even sure what reality to believe in, but throughout the episode, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a set, one dream where he's, like I said, he's in a carnival and he meets this cat lady. Um, and she just kind of beckons him to join her on what, you know, one last ride, which he's certain will lead to his death. Um, since he has a bad heart, uh, he just feels like another shock would kill him. So he can't go on this ride with her. He feels like she's intentionally trying to dupe him into going with her to kill him. Um, the mood of just menace and, and absolute dread that is conveyed in this, it, whether it's through visuals, it, it's really striking for you know a show from 58. Yes, it's in black and white, but the way it's shot, you have a lot of weird visuals in the carnival sequences with these clowns and... You know these these I don't want to call them carnies. What are they called when they work at at a uh, at a at a carnival? I guess carnies. But these carnies are, are are trying to lead him into either paying to play a game or or do X Y and Z. And when Maya comes up, he's so infatuated because she's you know she's a beautiful woman, and so he he initially does want to follow her. But as it keeps going, and you start realizing she's trying to pull him into something, so he figures if I don't sleep, I never have to deal with her. But 
therein lies the other problem. So you're back to that no win situation, if you will. And of course, the psychologist is is giving him the logical answers, right? Oh, you're you're having a delusion, or well, you haven't slept, so obviously you're hallucinating, or you you know, giving him any any logical answer in the book that a doctor would give you. Um, and one other thing I really want to highlight, sorry, kind of jumping all over the place, is the music in this also really just amps it up. And it's just, and you're kind of on the edge of your seat the whole time with him. Cause you're like, what the hell's going on? Is, is he really freaking out? Is, is, is this really going to happen? If he takes this last ride with her, does he never wake up? And then I, I, I start thinking about the influences that have taken from this over the years, you know, Freddy Krueger. Maya is basically Freddy Krueger before she's, she, except, you know, she's beautiful and voluptuous and, Equally as deadly, but better looking than Robert England. Sorry, dude. Well, I don't know. Uh, he's pretty voluptuous too. Let's, he's, let's he's, get carried away. <laughs> Depends on the angle, I guess. <laughs> but you know, he, she's literally trying to scare him to death. Yeah, on this on this dark carnival ride full of just cheesy nightmarish imagery and low rent thrills, if you will. And you know, he's just he's so terrified to fall asleep. And like I said, as a kid. It, it, probably a bad thing i would watch unsolved mysteries and late night tv that would completely give me the same feeling i would feel like i would feel like if i went to sleep something bad was going to happen so i always tried to stay awake and, and to my detriment because as i've gotten older I, I, I my sleeping patterns suck I'm, i never sleep um so i think that's why this was specifically so terrifying to me then and even now uh we talked about all these other episodes we wanted to pick and like I said, I had a ton in mind and they all resonate for certain reasons, but this one was because it just completely gives me the willies. And by the end of it all, um, you know, he ends up, he, I, oh yeah, we can spoil it. He ends up jumping out a window and, and dies. And then you cut to, you know, just a few seconds later and backtracking, he recognizes the receptionist at his psychologist's office as the woman he's been seeing in his dream that's trying to kill him essentially, or trying to get him to take that ride with her so that it eventually shocks him enough to kill him. And the doctor opens his door. He calls his receptionist in and they check his pulse. And the guy's, uh, uh, Edward Hall is laying on the, on the psychologist's couch. He's not out the window. The window's not broken and he's dead. And he determines, you know, he must've died from, from a heart attack in his sleep. And she asks how long he had been there. And he tells her, you know, he laid down not 60 seconds ago, not a minute ago. And then, you know, you cue the great Rod Serling conclusion and he comes in talking about a dream can last an eternity, even if it was just a second or a minute for you in real, in real time. And because of that ending monologue, I, I tend to think that as I've gotten older, I tend to think that, yeah, it was all in his head. The whole episode was in his head. It was a complete dream he was having when he sat on the couch. As I watched it in high school and several times up until this last time, I always thought, what if even that's a dream? I kept finding reasons to justify that 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 theory, but I kind of don't subscribe to it anymore. But but yeah, just everything from the, the visual, uh, the way it's shot, the visual design, it's almost like German expressionism done in like 50s rural American vibe. And the music is is so great. Uh, Edward Hall is is fantastic. He's actually really, really good. Uh, the woman that plays Maya is completely escaping me right now. Suzanne Lloyd. Thank you. Suzanne Lloyd. She's great. She's very, uh, she's very magnetic. You know, when she comes on the screen, you're, you're kind of like, 
you're kind of wondering, oh man, who is this? And you're really kind of attracted to her, even not necessarily physically, but more just she has an aura to her. She has a a presence to her that you really want to know what's going on. And especially for 58, her way her makeup's done, she's showing a little bit of thigh skin. It's it's definitely a, a different episode. And to me, it feels like a quintessential Twilight Zone episode simply because of the themes it's tackling and because of the effective twist ending that it has that everybody is stolen from, you know, from then till now. Yeah, you can quote M. Night. I mean, fucking Twisted Metal stole from this. If you've played any of the original games, all the endings have this exact twist style of, of ironic ending at the end. And it's just something that that completely resonates and I feel like is just kind of stood the test of time. But I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you guys like that episode, but I fucking love this episode. Well, and it's funny. I'll pass it over to Parrot in a second here for his thoughts. But just to uh, just to go off of something you said there about Maya specifically, one of my notes about her is, you know, this cat girl and her whole look is probably pretty scandalous for the 60s at that oh, time. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, just to have that sort of thing going on. So I definitely thought she was an interesting character. And obviously today there's not much to her at all. Uh, but back then it was probably a lot more of a big deal and just, Ooh, how exotic, like, of course she's trying to kill you sort of thing. Well, you know, today, today just perfectly normal, but yeah, oh, yeah, obviously this, but yeah, great episode. And I'll talk about it more in a minute, but Parrot, if you want to give us some of your thoughts, notes, and just uh, overall general impressions of the episode. Yeah. This is one that when Damon picked this, I looked at the picture and I remembered the scene from the carnival, but I really didn't remember this one very well. So it was pretty fun to watch it this morning. I really, you know, our two choices I'd seen a million times, uh, Addy, but you know, this one I really sat down and really paid attention to so I could remember. And I really did think it was pretty interesting. You know, my choice also has to do with dreams. So you yeah, know, we were kind of on the same, <laughs> like, on the same cool. wavelength here. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed so that. I, I really like that. And I do really enjoy the twist ending. That is a part of twilight zone. That's always been the huge draw to me. So I feel like it's done really well here. And I actually, I was thinking as you were talking about the episode, but I did write down the quote that Rod Sterling says at the end. He says, they say a dream takes only a second or so. And yet in that second, a man can live a lifetime, which I just think is a super, super interesting idea to build an episode around. For sure. Dreams. I always find dream stuff really fascinating. Like, you know, you know, Inception, Inception is one of my favorite Christopher Nolan movies. And I think a big part of that is just the dreamscape in general and just mm-hmm. how fascinating I find dreams and stuff like that. So when I, when this episode and then Parrot's episode were both dream related, it's like, oh yeah, that's so cool. And uh, definitely makes sense of why it's something they tackled pretty early on with the Twilight Zone is, you know, even today it's still such a, you know, weird thing we know nothing about. It's kind of wild. Yeah, there's some there's some really cool scenes in the dream. I wanted to just talk on the talk about those really quickly. The the one scene where he is driving the he's talking about when he was driving his car and he's so worried that this woman is gonna appear in his car that she does. Oh yeah. I love that scene because when I was a kid, Very I always creepy. would just read the urban legend books and that's just like one of the most famous urban legends, you know, that there's someone hiding in your back seat. That is always just like a, that's something I always think about. I still check my backseat every time I get in the car, even though I live out in rural nowhere, but I just think (laughs) about that all the time. So that scene really, really made me think today. Uh, And then the other scene I wanted to quickly shout out was when they're in the haunted fun house. That is like such a cool scene. Oh my God. Like all the monster like masks are jumping out and it's just like shot in such an interesting way. And like the laughing and the screaming behind it is really unsettling. Oh yeah, all the like Dutch angles, right? It's everything's from the side, yeah. and then you get the cool, uh, 
swirly uh what are those called uh it's at the beginning of every twilight zone episode also in the intro but that oh like the little uh, black hole swirls i know what you mean but yeah, yeah 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 you get some of those and yeah um it, you but to your point about about you know how he's looking in the back of the car or he's or he's always just kind of got he's looking over his shoulder and he even says to himself i know she's not going to show up i know she's not there because she's not real she's in my dreams and he still is still sees her in the mirror he still looks anyway and that's how terrifying she is to him is that he still feels like even if he knows she's not real he's got to keep looking he's got to keep making sure and you know covering his ass very yeah like like you mentioned, very Freddy Krueger. I I was curious about that because I thought of that too when I was watching this, and I was looking on the Wikipedia, and it says Wes Craven said it had nothing to do with it, but oh, there's really? a lot of similarities. Yeah, it says it's been speculated that this episode in the novella which spawned it served as Wes Craven's inspiration, but he's saying it did not. But I definitely got that vibe. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. De- yeah, definitely some inspiration for sure. It feels like, but you know, maybe maybe, maybe Wes was getting up there. He didn't remember. Who knows? <laughs> Um, all right, we got uh, seven minutes left to discuss this episode. I, I wanted to, uh, this is totally off topic and uh, just something that I laughed at, but have any of you guys seen that Mario meme that's been going around with the whole essay and the perchance? Oh, no. I'm looking is that just now. me? Uh, that's what it just made me laugh. Like there's this essay that's going around that where this guy, he wrote this kid wrote an essay on Mario and the teacher's just fucking grilling him. But like. Like the start of it is everyone knows Mario is cool as fuck, but who knows what he's thinking? Who knows why he crushes turtles? And why do we think about him as fondly as we think of the mythical Dr. Pepper? Per oh. chance? <laughs> you can't just say per chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just made instantly when I, when you picked this, I'm like, oh, great. I'm just going to be thinking about this the entire fucking time. But no, it's a great episode. The whole, like I said, I love dream stuff. So it's very fascinating for me. Definitely had a very creepy vibe to it, which is, again, exactly what I'm looking for in the Twilight Zone. Um, and then uh, this is maybe just a me thing, but there's something inherently creepy about amusement parks to me. I don't know what it is, but just... Uh, carnies and like that whole thing. I just always feels like a little creepy when they use that in media and that they can make it, uh, can make a little bit creepy. So I dig that. Um, one of the things I was laughing at though, was, you know, back in the sixties, I imagine that, uh, psychology, mental health and all that stuff wasn't super advanced. So I don't blame the guy like for not wanting to tell his story. Like even, and then as I was typing that note out, he's like, you're not going to put me in a straight Jack doc, are you? I'm like, yeah, well, oh, yeah. probably will. Cause we're in the sixties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, feel so... like that is a theme that, I feel like that is something that happens in so many Twilight Zone. As we'll talk oh, about yeah, we'll, next episode, but oh, we'll I mean, talk about it in your episode yeah. for sure. Oh, God, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no. there's some definitely '60s things in these episodes, and it's like, oh boy. Yeah, I I kind of I enjoy that. It makes it it you know it dates it, but also makes it a little campy almost in a way. I just oh yeah. In in that vein, I was thinking about just the very end. He so in our in the real world, he goes into the room, falls asleep, and dies in three seconds, and they do not act like they're surprised at all. They're just like, oh wow. He's dead. What, yeah, they, what a shame. They even, what a shame. They even, don't they even open up on on the psychologist kind of just staring at him like, yeah, oh shit, this guy died. Did this Damn. guy just die? Like he's he's not even sure. He's like, is he dead? Maybe. I'm just you gonna sit here for a second. <laughs> Maybe you know what? I don't know. I wasn't there. Maybe that happened all the time in the '60s. Maybe you know, it wasn't weird. Because you know, you're pissed because you know it's gonna be a ton of paperwork he's gonna deal with. Now. <laughs> all right. Holy, you know what? I. Holy shit! I didn't. I didn't catch this because I watched. I Dory and I watched yours the same night I watched mine, and right. I didn't catch this. But John Larch is in both episodes. 
So the psychologist in yeah yeah he's the, in he's this episode the, he's the is, is, is the dad in your episode. Yeah. I yeah. for some reason went right over my head until about five seconds ago. Yeah, I, I actually don't know how I, I'd have to go through and rewatch the whole series, but I imagine they reuse some of the actors quite a bit. Like it feels oh, like yeah. something they would do. Um, oh, and you Shatner's in two episodes. Yep. Yeah, you you touched on this earlier too, Damon, and it'll be a pre, uh, prevailing theme when I talk about all these episodes. But uh, the score is really good in all of these. Oh, like, I so just good. I love the sympathy and the little score they have cooked up for each episode, and I, I love that about old television, specifically '60s stuff. But it it just sounds great what they do with it, and I really liked it. Yeah, it, they use it to such good effect. And uh, Grant, you know, back then they didn't know that it was going to be this, that people were going to be talking about this, you know, seventy years later. And for it to be that effective and that timeless is, is man, you got to tip your hat. Rod Serling is not only is a, is he a, a beast? I mean, the guy wrote so much, but uh, if anybody ever gets a chance, there's a book um, that his daughter wrote about him called uh, as I knew him. And it's really good. Actually, oddly enough, just, just read it a couple of months ago before we picked this episode. And he, he's such a fascinating uh, he's just a fast, just a fascinating man, uh, you know, being in the war and then coming home and doing the teleplay for every single episode and just completely burning himself out writing these episodes or overseeing them and doing the teleplay and uh, even even writing who's surprised. But uh, he he helped, if I understand correctly, Rod Serling did a pass on Planet of the Apes or or helped do some of the ending and if anybody knows planet of the apes tell me that's not a, a twilight zone ending if you've yeah. ever seen one <laughs> so absolutely. it all fits absolutely no that is definitely a twilight zone ass ending and you can certainly tell uh and i will keep the part about the books in here begrudgingly um <laughs> uh we have two minutes left so final thoughts from either of you if you got anything else you want to talk about this episode spit them out now or forever hold your peace i just want to shout out quickly maya's laugh is so unsettling when she does oh, it. God. It's so, yeah. so very creepy. Very creepy. It's, it's like almost like when he's walking around the carnival and he's watching her dance, it's like, like at first I'm like, why is he so creeped out by her? I mean, she's, a, you know, like you said, maybe in the 60s she was a little more exotic, but but then when she starts laughing, I'm like, oh yeah, I would be scared of her for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so I, true. I just want to point out that in the late 50s, early 60s, everybody looked way older than they were because at the beginning of the episode, Serling introduces Edward Hall, age 35, whatever his profession is. And I'm sorry, but you look at uh, at Richard Conti and he was not 35. I get it. He's an actor, but holy shit. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he definitely looked like 50s, 60s, man. That guy had been having some bad dreams. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, he'd, he'd been awake for 87 hours. That'll do it to you. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, we'll put a pin in the conversation there. Uh, unlike uh, Mr. Edward, we are not dead yet, so we need to move on, unfortunately. Uh, Barrett, it's now time to talk about your episode. Uh all right, so yeah, my episode was from season two, episode 17, titled 22. Uh, this episode is about a dancer. She's very specific. She's a dancer Liz, named Liz Powell, who is recovering in a hospital because she is overworked and tired. And she is having this recurring dream that she wakes up, she reaches for her water and it breaks, and then she hears some footsteps. So she goes out, goes out to the hallway. And I, this is part of what I really like about this episode. I feel like this, her dream is very, just like in Damon's episode, it's a very horror dream. It's very, it's filled with a lot of dread and tension. 
as she's walking down the hallway and she comes out of a room to follow the footsteps and she just sees like she sees a woman going down an elevator but the face is totally obstructed so she follows her and then she follows her down the elevator follows her down the next hallway and then lo and behold the room that she goes into is the morgue and then this woman that she's following comes out and she says room for one more honey and she runs and then uh liz powell runs away and wakes up from the dream so she's been having this dream throughout the week that she's been in the hospital i believe it was five days or whatever and of course because this is the 60s and she's a woman no one believes her (laughs) and (laughs) so so there's a lot of uh dated 60s part a lot of dated 60s elements in this episode that made it pretty funny to watch but they're also casual the casual 60 misogyny in this episode is fantastic (laughs) so but at the core of it it is all about her nightmare and her trying to break out of this nightmare and then lo and behold in the end what really made me love the twilight zone because like i said this is one of the first episodes i ever saw because you see this all and you're wondering you know it is it a dream because it does seem like it's a dream and you know all the misogynistic doctors are telling her it's a dream but she knows that it's something more and it turns out that she should trust her gut because then in the end in a very twilight zone twist her dream plays out in her real life but in an airport which ends up saving her life so that is what ended up making me pick this episode because I just think the the twists and it, it it is not a predictable twist in the way that it doesn't really hint to you that that's what's going to happen. But it, once you've seen it once and you rewatch it, it all makes a lot of sense. So that's what I that's why I ended up choosing this one. Can I just say, speaking of movie inspiration, since we had uh, yes. Nightmare on Elm Street for the last one, I we got a little Final going. Destination yep. here, right? Yep. Oh, Definitely absolutely. a little Final Fuck Destination it. here. Like, we got the plane, and like, now, but fucking Depp's going to be haunting her now. She fucked up. She done goofed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is another great episode. Uh, again, I'll tell my thoughts in a bit, but Damon, if you want to go ahead and take it next and uh, give us your overall thoughts on the episode. I was, it's exactly where I was going to go. Was uh, It's funny, because I know I've seen this episode, and I remember, I remember the dream specifically that she was, they were telling her to lucid dream and she had the dream about the the woman down in, in room 22 and they were freaking out because how would she know that she's never been down there, blah, blah, blah. And I, when she got to the airport, it all hit me like a ton of bricks. I remembered, oh yeah, she watches the plane completely blow up. And, and so final destination keeps coming. And that's actually one of my, uh, I like that franchise. Um, me too so yeah right and it's so much fun and and if this isn't if they didn't completely just take from this they're lying maybe yeah. west craven was lying but they're <laughs> definitely lying <laughs> shout out from damon are you gonna take that final destination producers <laughs> no there's definitely got to be some inspiration there for sure it's it's way too too similar um, I mean, can we, can we, let's address the elephant in the room though, and talk about the, the misogyny in this yeah. episode, because <laughs> yeah. Jesus, this doctor, man, he's like, oh man, I sure I, like, we're like two minutes into the episode after her dream. She's having a nervous breakdown. Looks like she's crying about to die. He's like, oh man, I wish I was younger. So I had my shot with you, honey. Like Jesus, dude, where's your bedside matter? <laughs> he just has the most skeevy look on his face too, the whole time. Oh, yeah. He just looks like he's just so gross. And I wouldn't just... let this doctor anywhere near me. His fucking smirk. <laughs> yeah, she and but I, I also would love that she does not 
really she does not appreciate it and she also is snarky back to them which is why oh, i yeah. just think it's so entertaining like he does that and then she uh i wrote it down here oh yeah she he, he like laughs in the, such a creepy way and then she's like you must be great at funerals laughing boy oh yeah <laughs> so I, just, I just appreciate that she does she is a strong woman and she does not give a shit about them he's just like you know what you don't you don't believe me but you should and you know at the end of the day she's right well and it's interesting too because i guess by the end of it like she kind of tricks herself into thinking she was dreaming at least that's the kind of the rub i get from it just so she can leave the fucking hospital yeah Um, yeah she just wants to get out of there so at this point she's just like all right you know what i'm just gonna convince myself these are dreams and let's go and then of course she that happens at the airport and she basically has a fucking breakdown at the airport because was a dream after all but uh yeah it's interesting again very 60s like that's probably what you would have to do to get out of there otherwise you'd end up in a straitjack or, or a mental institution oh yeah and and correct me if i'm wrong didn't her um and and i'm uh, when you started explaining her profession parrot i could feel your air quotes uh yes. didn't her, her air quote agent even yes. slip and say stripper <laughs> Yeah, she's the, yeah, yeah, his name is Barney. I wrote it down. And Barney, like, yeah. stripper, and I, she's like I, dancer, I just, dancer. I have, I have a note for Barney. That guy has some Chad glasses. I just gotta say, those are some Chad '60s glasses. And shout out to Barney for rocking those. Those, oh, those have, fucking, those Buddy Holly glasses made his eyes so big. I have some couple notes about Barney that maybe are not quite as nice. I wrote, Barney is such a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god because he shows up he clearly does not care about her he does not care about her well-being at all oh no and, and then he's no. like and then when he tries to leave and he's trying to leave and she's just like i'm not talking to you and he's like well i'm glad you're feeling but well i'm glad you're looking good and i'm like oh my god what a fucking creep <laughs> that dude is a piece of work <laughs> yeah yeah shut up barney or not yeah and and another quote I wrote down from the doctors when they're when she is finally leaving, she is I, I got the same vibe you did where she is just kind of like telling herself, OK, it's dreams. It's nothing but dreams because she just wants to get out of there and go on with her life and she doesn't have any other way to get out. So that's also what I got. And so she's leaving. She's packing her things up and the doctor's like, next time I see you, I'll be ringside. I want a little wink. And he just laughs so creepy. Oh. <laughs> I know, right? Like, God, like the doctor would have been fired like in ten seconds in today's day and age. But you could have, you could literally, you could literally have a whole Twilight Zone episode alone on this doctor. I feel like just like his story and his backstory. Yes. <laughs> it's creepier than anything in this episode. Just a day in his life. I, I'm in. Yeah, yeah he's the creepiest part about this episode in uh, the modern lens. That's for sure. I did. But not yeah, I did. I did think. I, I did think it was funny, and I know we talked about this in the first episode that we talked about, but like I noticed right away that, yeah, this is another dream-based episode. So you and uh, Mr. Damon were on the same wavelength here, both uh, going for very similar themes in your episodes. Uh, yeah. And that's pretty cool. And and I don't know, like, again, I have've I have, I've seen every Twilight Zone episode, but it's been a while, so I'd have to do a rewatch of the series, which I'm tempted to do now after these. I love the show so much. Um, but I, I wonder if dreams were just like a really big prevailing, uh, prevailing factor throughout the entirety of the show, if they just kind of keep going back to that well, or if you guys just, uh, kind of did a little coincidence here. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I know. I remember some that do have what I think were, uh, they may not have been prevalent, but there was, there had to be like after hours, I think. And, 
maybe last flight. Oh man. I have to go back and watch there's, it too. Though. There's definitely a few. Um, and then shout out to this episode too. Cause this was the first, uh, this one had the intro that I recognized. I was like, oh, okay, this is the intro that I kind of remember. Cause mm. there's so many different intros that were used with the twilight zone, uh, with different like, backgrounds and some audio cues and stuff like that. But I think this is the one that's most prevalent to me. Yeah. I really like in this episode, you know, all the, all the jokes aside, the actual core part with the, the nightmare, the recurring nightmare is super interesting. And I just find the dream to be really creepy. Like I was describing how she's, you're hearing the footsteps and you see her in the, in the elevator and her face is just totally shadow. It's just such, and just the opening the morgue and the woman saying there's room for one more honey is very eerie. And then I think also it's really interesting. It's really cool how they took that and it, fits perfectly in the hospital morgue setting but it also worked perfectly in the airport it feels really like it feels like a realistic dream doesn't it yeah like, that's why i kind of like it too like it feels like I, okay i could absolutely see my, like I, I do you guys dream at all like are you guys dreamers i'm curious i do not a lot but i do sometimes i yeah mm-hmm. i never remember mine i never okay. anymore i used to but not anymore yeah, see, I, 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 for a long time, I didn't like remember, but lately I've been remembering them again. And it just, it feels very accurate to me how, how a dream like that would go. Like if you're kind of having these recurring dreams and stuff like that, and it feels very, very true to life of what you kind of expect. And I appreciate that part of it. And there's something very creepy about it too. Like there's nothing really like that actress isn't particularly creepy. I don't think. But no, the no. way they kind of frame it and kind of mm-hmm. do it, she's really, she is creepy. Like there's something very creepy about that delivery room for one more, honey. Like it's just, there's something about the way she says like it. That's just the echoey effect on her voice, I think adds, right. And, uh, and the very long hallway behind her, like that just unnerves me for some reason. Agreed. Yeah. It's just a creepy visual and it's, the, the music, but also just like the silence and just the footsteps in this long, creepy hallway. It's mm-hmm. just something something unnerving about that. And I also just like how she is almost, tra- it's almost, it's not like a time loop story, but it's almost where she is trapped in the same situation. And when she tries to change it, she tries to change the order of it to get out of it. And no matter what she does, like she is trapped in this reality for her. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause she tries like, something with that glass, right? The second time or the third time, like she tries to do something different, but she still ends up dropping it. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like, no matter what she does to try to change the order, cause it always happens sequentially. So she's trying to do something to break the order. And even though she knows she's trying to do that, it still ends up happening. It's just inevitable. And then it happens in the airport, which is genius, you know, the same order. And then the vase breaks because some woman's just walking with the vase for whatever reason. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a note about that. I just wrote she does not apologize and the woman walks off. Yeah, she doesn't even exactly. She smashes the stick and then it just the woman just stares at her. She doesn't have a line, she just stares at her and then just Well fuck away. my vase, I guess. Fuck you. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's that's good shit, man. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of they were you know, the plots were not exactly super realistic sometimes. They're very hyper focused on what they were trying to tell, and that's fine. We're, we're, yeah, we're, and they have a you know a limited amount of time. Yeah, and we've no. seen what happens when Twilight Zone has too much time. That doesn't go that well either. Like no or peel. Yeah, no, Mister. No, the less the less peel time, the better. Honestly, <laughs> I actually, and I, that's unfair. I like nope and and get out. But, uh, but the Twilight Zone was not it. <laughs> it was certainly not it. Rod, Rod Sterling, it was not. 
Uh, all right, we've got a few minutes left here. So do you guys have any other notes about this episode that you wanted to bring up? Can I ask uh, how you guys felt about it being shot on video? Did you, I mean, did it, did it do anything for you? Did it take away anything? Because the look's very different. And I know they, they shot, I think, six, four or five or six episodes in a row on video to come back under budget because they were horribly over budget in, in this season. Honestly, I didn't even notice. So that's interesting. Oh, Um, okay. But yeah, no, that's, uh, that's interesting to me. I did not know that. Uh, So no, I guess not. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I was the same. I did read about that though. I read the Wikipedia about the uh, I, about each episode after it, and it was a pretty interesting. I did not notice. I don't have the I don't have the eye for it. Oh yeah, I uh, once we picked this, I was watching them online to start. I just kind of started watching through episodes, and I thought, man, why don't I own this? And I actually found a Blu-ray box set online, so I bought it. And when we watched this episode, we watched it on on the Blu-ray. And the transfer, you can totally, the transfer is great. It looks, it looks good. All the episodes look good, but uh, I started watching a few and I caught one before this and this one. And I was like, oh man, they shot on video. It looks better than soap opera, but not as good as film. And, and that could just be the snob in me. Um, it didn't really take anything away per se, cause the content, like the stories there and, and it's really cool and, uh, you know, creepy as shit. Um, but I just, I just remember it kind of sticking out to me and I was like, Oh, I wonder if, if they caught it, but okay, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Too dumb. But, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, and I want to be watching that and look for yeah. it. Uh, by the way, Perry, you forgot to say your, your fun fact. So I'm going to say oh, it yeah. for you for this yeah, episode. For uh, Barbara Nichols accidentally fell when she was running down the airplane stairs and back on the runway. Although Barbara's fall on the tarmac wasn't in the script, director Jack Smite loved it and kept this shot in. I can't imagine without it. So it's really interesting when I learned that it was not on purpose. I feel like it makes the whole scene, you know, when she, when the airport, when the, the, the airport hostess, whatever it would be, the airplane, whatever, she says the room for one more honey and she just freaks out and she just falls down the stairs. I feel like that really made it, it really showcased oh, how, how scary it was for her to realize her dream totally came true. Oh yeah. Yeah. Smart it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Like, yeah, that was, that's interesting that that wasn't in the script. I obviously didn't know that. Uh, but you you can't imagine that shot without it now. It's so iconic. It's great. A couple quick things. I also really like, it also is a very eerie atmosphere when she's laying in the bed and it's just silence except for that really loud ticking clock. I find that to be very eerie also. And oh, then, yeah. Yes. And she's just laying in the bed and she's like, tick, 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 tick. And that's all you can hear. Something about that is just very unsettling to me. And then also, I think what is so great about this show is just that even though it is so old, it is still, you know, 60s stuff aside, it is still at its core, very timeless. And I feel like this episode is also that because this story could be told now. I mean, we're it still touches on the fear of dreams, the fear of the unknown. And yeah, that's what I think is really good about the show and just in general. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, not just your episode, but really any all of these episodes <laughs> Um, and most of them, I feel like they're just, it's timeless. Like they hold up so well today. Um, it's funny, a while back I binge watched, I don't know if I finished all of it, but I watched a good chunk of it, of uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you have ever watched that show. A little bit. A little um, bit. Oh, yeah. Um, and it doesn't hold up quite as well, but it's no. still good and definitely an enjoyable show. 
But it's funny watching and then going back to the Twilight Zone here. I'm like, yeah, man, this is just timeless. Like other than these obviously 60s, 60s, you know, misogynistic, yeah. <laughs> uh, it holds up incredibly well. There's really no issues with it. So I always thought that was really cool. And it just goes to show the uh, the lasting power of the Twilight Zone and how iconic it really is. Yeah. Like you could, you could, you would never want to do this, but you could just take all the scripts that I bet, or, you know, the majority of them. And just update them to modern times. And I think just like the core of the stories would still all work. Oh, absolutely. And sadly, you know, the misogynistic part, maybe it still works a little bit too. (laughs) (laughs) Just maybe not quite as blatant on television. Right. You can be a little more quiet about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just, maybe just just not a creepy doctor giggling at her face while she tries (laughs) to tell him how horrible her life is. (laughs) If only I was younger, honey. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Lord. All right. Uh, did we have any final thoughts on this lovely episode? I think that's it. Uh, yeah, this is the first episode, one of the first I ever watched. And I just, that's why it always will hold a special place in my heart. I always watch The Twilight Zone with my mom every New Year's Eve. We would just sit there and watch the marathon for the two or three days. And that's where I really fell in love with the show. So that's what this episode reminds me of. It's awesome. That is great. It's a great story. Damon, anything for you, my friend? Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I think we covered it. That, that's a great guy. That's a great fucking episode. Dreams again. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Dreams are just a great place to go. Always there. You can, you can do something very interesting on the dreamscape. All right. So we're going to move on to the final episode and that is mine. It's a good life. It's a real good life. A great life. Starring John Larch and Cloris Leachman, 1964 season three, episode eight. Fun fact, it contains the longest opening narration of any segment of any episode of the Twilight Zone franchise. And I think it's actually just perfect, this opening narration. It's incredible in my opinion. It's one of the reasons I like this episode so much. So I'm just going to fucking read it. Here we go. Tonight's story on the Twilight Zone is somewhat unique and calls for a different kind of introduction. This, as you may recognize, is a map of the United States. And there's a little town there called Peaksville. On a given morning not too long ago, the rest of the world disappeared, and Peaksville was left all alone. Its inhabitants were never sure whether the world was destroyed, and only Peaksville left untouched, or whether the village had somehow been taken away. There were, on the other hand, sure of one thing. The cause. A monster had arrived in the village. Just by using his mind, he took away the automobiles, the electricity, the machines, because they displeased him, and he moved an entire community back into the Dark Ages just by using his mind. Now I'd like to introduce you to some of the people in Peaksville, Ohio. This is Mr. Fremont. It's his farmhouse that the monster resides. This is Mrs. Fremont, and this is Aunt Amy, who probably had more control over the monster in the beginning than almost anyone. But one day she forgot. She began to sing aloud. Now the monster doesn't like singing, so his mind snapped at her, turning her into a smiling, vacant thing you're looking at now. She sings no more. And you'll note the people in Peaksville, Ohio have to smile, They have to think happy thoughts and say happy things, because once displeased, the monster can wish them into a cornfield or change them into a grotesque walking whore. This particular monster can read minds, you see. He knows every thought. He can feel every emotion. Oh yes, I did forget something, didn't I? I forgot to introduce you to the monster. This is the monster. His name is Anthony Fremont. He's six years old, with a cute little boy face and blue, gillless eyes. When those eyes look at you, you'd better start thinking happy thoughts because the mind behind them is absolutely in charge. This is the Twilight Zone. 
And I say all that because it's such a perfect setup for this episode. And it just bleeds into what I think is just one of the creepiest things I still have ever seen on television. The vibe of this is just off the charts for me. You get this kid that's just, I mean, this is probably why I hate kids so much, man. Like, it's got to be definitely part of the fucking reason, man. Like, I, Rod, I, Sterling, I love your narration, but I disagree with the innocent part. There's nothing innocent looking about this kid. This is a creepy oh, no. little master. All right. Um, but yeah, like you basically in this episode, it's just this kid that runs this town and everyone has to think very happy, pleasant thoughts. And if they don't, this kid's a monster and he could do with you as he pleases. And you basically get a slice of life into what it's like living in this town. One guy ends up going crazy and can't take it anymore. And he ends up getting turned into a literal fucking Jack in the box and then <laughs> sent it to the cornfield with all the other miscreants. And then at the very end, you get this horrifying shot of basically, you know, he, he wants it to snow. It's probably a random summer day. And he's like, nah, I just want it to snow right now. And the dad's like, you're going to ruin all the crops, but oh, it's, it's a real good thing. You made it snow. And these people are all just broken, battered, and there's no escape for them. Welcome to the fucking Twilight Zone. <laughs> but yeah, this is definitely my favorite episode. I think it's great. I have a lot to say on it, but uh, I'll toss it over to uh, you first, Para, if you want to give me your thoughts on this episode. Yeah, I was I was really struck by that intro also because it's it really builds up this horrifying monster and you don't know what it is. And then it's you know just a little kid and it really just makes you wonder what like why is he like this and then it's also just inherently creepy to have a evil child i think in my opinion maybe that's just also someone that never wants children but something about a creepy evil child is just always unnerving to me and yeah this just like the this would just be like the most true hell to live in i feel like that's like one of my biggest takeaways watching this i just like they all are doing so well acting this out where they are all saying the nice things and you can tell they all just have like facial expressions where they're trying to look happy, but you can tell that they're not. And I think that is what makes this episode really unnerving to watch them all navigate around this landmine that is just this small six-year-old boy who is a, a, clearly a monster, but he's also only six years old. So he, in some way, you could say he doesn't know any better, but he can't be parented to know better because if they try to, He's going to kill them, basically. So it's just a vicious cycle that is just making this town the living hell to live in. It's funny that you mentioned, like, everyone's doing a good job acting and everything. Because one of my notes is, and you guys both know me very well, uh, but having to always be happy and cheerful, I would be the very first person dead in this town. There's no fucking way. <laughs> I would be dead so fucking quick in this town. <laughs> so, you know, shout out to being able to keep that for, uh, facade up because not a fucking chance for me. Like, there's just no chance. Oh, uh, Damon, no. what, what do you think of this episode? I, I would have done exactly what uh, what Don Kiefer does before he gets turned into a jack-in-the-box. I would have just mm-hmm. instigated this kid and just pissed him off so he would kill me intentionally or, or wish me away or whatever because fuck that. Uh, this fucking episode is one of the most unnerving things on the planet. A- aside from the kid who looks just sinister as shit, not because he's freckled and has red hair. You can't tell he has red hair. It's black and white. Uh, I could but, fucking tell it bleeds oh, yeah. to the black and white. <laughs> it, it definitely does. I was just, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely does. And he he has just got a look to him. He's got the missing tooth. He's got the Dennis the Menace overalls and the bowl cut. And it's his stare. He's got piercing eyes that just make you so uneasy. And 
the 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 sequence where he churns that guy into a jack and literal jack in the box they have that quick cut of his head kind of bouncing and it's and you know they frame it so it's under his shoulders it's really just him wearing a hat but the way he moves and i think he's wearing a black shirt under his shoulder because he moves just slightly enough in a frame or two where it looks like his shoulder is cut off and then it cuts the shadow and that's the most if for for 1960 what is one two it, that is still scarier than half the movies you'll watch today just something about it is so like skeevy and and you're right parrot you're you're you nailed it man like everybody just looks like they are they've had like they're they're at the, they're at their wits end they're so scared to say the wrong thing it's in their eyes it's in their face the dad is just fucking terrified of his own kid it, this was man i hadn't seen this one in a while and as soon as i started getting into it i went oh man like, i just all came back i remembered how just creepy this one is yeah speaking of like what you're saying the dad afraid of his own kid the mom is hates her own kid and it showed oh, yeah. like earlier in the episode where i wish we could have seen it but the kid makes a gopher with three heads oh god and then she is <laughs> you know and she's talking to i don't remember what this guy is somebody's come to deliver something and she is basically just hoping she's like i you know she's wishing that the animal would have bit him and killed him mm-hmm. and that's what she's hoping would have happened she's like oh i you know that would have been nice if that could have happened but you know it didn't and then they at the end you know jumping around they had their chance he the guy's name was dan i wrote it down he's mm-hmm. drunk and he gives them a chance he gives them a chance to end it but they can't bring themselves to do it so they also have to now live with knowing they had the perfect opportunity to do it but they couldn't do it it's funny when, when he yelled, just hit him in the back of the head or something. I was yelling that in my head about three minutes before. <laughs> I was like, just hit this fucking kid. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Eh? It's it's so well done. And they really do make you like scared of this kid just because of how they flame him and what he does. Um, I will say one of my notes here is that I am a little bit envious of the kid, though. Like, I, I kind of just wish I could. Make, wish people away in the cornfield sometimes <laughs> that, that seems like a power i would like just yeah you go go, go in the cornfield you're fucking pissing me off right now <laughs> radic i don't hear about twisted metal go away for an hour. <laughs> uh you know what so that, that explains a lot about your discord strategy this episode but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I discord the exact same way as this kid i swear <laughs> that's gonna I, be the new thread on there it's gonna be called the cornfield <laughs> I, I wrote down, I'm just like thinking about this, like this kid might be one of the most powerful characters ever created in fiction. He's got so many powers, it seems like I just can't even like, I don't know how you, other than the fact that he's a kid, I mean, he's, he's lighting, he's lighting, lighting people on fire. Uh, you know, he removes electricity cards. He's reading minds. He's teleporting people away. Oh, yeah. He's creating life. He's killing life. He's turning people into monsters. He's making his own television shows. He's changing With the dinosaurs weapon. Like, what? fighting. Yeah, yeah. Like, what, like what? What can this kid? What can he not do? I, I, it's just like, yeah, he's just like, he's gonna take over the world at some point. Yeah, it's it. Well, in in that is an interesting thought. You you kind of wonder if like the people in that town are almost just like acting as sacrificial animals because like all right we'll keep him contained here so he doesn't take over the rest of the fucking world like i don't know if that's their purpose but you're right like he could like you just feel like he could just take over the world if he wanted to like in a snap right like he kind of owns everything it's very like i don't know have you guys have you ever seen the movie Brightburn? oh no i i really want to i like i like that director he's a cool guy 
That is like Have the you, evil, like Superman. It's sort of evil movie. Superman, right? Mm-hmm. And this yeah. kind of gave me some of those vibes too. It just like this monster shows up. They on a farm. They raise him, and it's just like kind of like an evil superhero. Like what if Superman was bad, sort of thing. And Brightburn, it's very much a guilty pleasure. I don't think it's a great movie, but I definitely had fun with it. And definitely reminds me of that in some ways, where you just kind of get this alternate, like what if this kid had all the superpowers, but he was just a horrible human being. Yeah, and just creates this very stressful horrifying place to live in and also you know he you know he turned the guy into a jackbox whatever if you you know you know me as soon as he kills that dog i'm like we gotta kill this kid oh yeah <laughs> yeah i know i figured that was it for you like you were <laughs> at that point you're like yeah don't you don't wish no dog away to the cornfield buddy you're you're, you're dead meat you're toast yeah I, yeah, I, I forgot about like, that. He he, yeah, he 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 doesn't like dogs, or they don't like him, so he doesn't like them. Whatever yeah, and he is. has the quote I wrote down in that section. He says, "I hate everyone who doesn't like me." It's like, yeah, and that's oh, a, man, that's this, very this, very scary this, to imagine with a kid oh, with this much power doing. Man, that kid is me, man. Like for real, for real. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, here's another note for you. Since we're on the on the the comedic topic, there's always got to be that one drunk at a party, though, eh? And I, yeah. and I know it's oh, his yeah. party, so I know it's his party, so he's probably allowed to. But always got to be the one guy that just has a bit too much to drink. Although this guy, he's you know, it's what is it, a peach uh, peach whiskey or whatever, and it's like oh, said, peach there's brandy, only like, peach yeah. brandy, and he's like complaining because there's only like a few bottles of liquor left in the entire world. So like that's like. Obviously, back in the '60s, that's a crisis. I love that. That's what what broke the the straw that broke the camel's back for him was. Wait a minute, we've only got five bottles of booze left. I'm pretty sure it's not even the world. I'm pretty sure he says like, "Oh, in this county or something." So it's like, oh, count, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know you don't have a car, but you could walk. You could walk. No kidding, man. So he's just like, "Yeah, no, I'm done. I'm out. Peace. I'm, have this little bastard kill me." <laughs> with a totally different tone, you know, he'd be the villain of this episode, the drunk guy that picks a fight with a child. But right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, if you if you just turned on this episode like randomly at that point, you're probably like, oh, what a monster this guy is. Like, leave the kid alone. He just wants to hear a song. <laughs> I love that scene. It's like just before that, when he's making that other guy play the piano, it's oh. like I can't imagine have to play the piano in that kind of situation. You know, one mess up, you might get sent to the, your death. And then that guy's just like drinking and making noise. And it's very stressful. You're like, you know, something is going to happen. But the kid is not reacting quite yet. And it's like, oh, my God, is he going to, you know, is he going to die here? And it just creates some really, really good tension. I also just love oh, the kid. He's like his little delivery of the lines. Like, I don't like when in, I don't like any noise when the music's playing. It's like, it's like a little gangster. <laughs> yeah, you're going to stop. See, I don't need to hear no music when my or, I don't need to hear no noise when my music's playing. See. Yeah, it's so good. He makes such good uh, facial expressions. That little kid does. He really is just. just oh, they crazy. cast the perfect fucking oh, kid for yeah. that role. Like they could not have found a better kid for that role. Like just perfect. By the way, also slightly fun fact, which I don't know if either of you guys know. Did you know this episode actually has a sequel? Apparently, it's fucking horrible. I've never watched it, but I, I've always wanted to. Never watched it either. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah apparently, it's horrible. It, it's in what the eighties show? Yeah, like, like, uh, I think yeah, it was the in one of the revival movies. they did, like in the nineties or something like that, late eighties or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, it's called it's still a good life or something like that. But yeah, so apparently he's still doing his thing. Okay. And it's his daughter, I think, if I read correctly. Oh, and she's more okay. so it's his daughter and she's more powerful than him. Oh man. Ooh, and he's got Jesus like unlimited Christ. powers. So I can't yeah, well, what, what could like. she do? Like that's scary. <laughs> yeah, right. Reese time, turn back the clock. I mean, what else could possibly I mean this kid could do everything. 
Yeah, I'm definitely, like, out of morbid curiosity, I'll probably try to watch that one day. I don't know if I've watched any of the 80s Twilight Zone stuff, though. It's more just the 60s I've watched, so the classic stuff. I feel I've like I've caught a few. Yeah, I want to say, I at one point I wanted to try to watch it all, and I probably watched, like, the first 15, and it was, like, fine. It just wasn't anything special. I ended up not continuing, but maybe one day I'll go back, because I am curious. But now I kind of, like you said earlier, I kind of just want to watch all these again. Yeah, well, if I'm going for '80s '90s anthology, I'll, like I, I, I was a, I was a guilty pleasure for me was The Outer Limits. I, don't know I was just yes, hell yeah. So I would, I would just rather watch The Outer Limits because that was really cool shit there. This has to be one of the most iconic episodes, right? I would say. Yeah, I, I think this one, like, most, I, I, but it's up there. I, yeah, I, I, I definitely out of the three of us, I think I picked the most normie episode for sure. Um, this is up there. I think obviously the uh, plane. The, pl- uh, the plane the, episode, yep. the the monsters on maple. Or, oh yeah, uh, monsters on maple. Time time enough at last. Oh, yep. Obviously, a parrot's horror story. So there's lots in there that <laughs> I feel are are particularly I, I like frightening. I would have liked for uh, one of us to talk about that because I feel like you must be rooting against that guy because he loves reading so much. Oh, I am, absolutely. <laughs> the end of, happy ending for me. I'm just like that sucks to be you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I just wanted to, like, since you're talking about iconic episodes, I also just wanted to shout out the uh, Living Doll episode. That's also oh, another iconic yeah. episode. Which one was that again? The, the I'm, I'm t- what is it, Talking Tina, where he gets oh, the doll. It's Chucky. Yes, 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 yes. It's Chucky's it's Chucky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the Chucky, the, Ch- the Chucky yep. inspiration, which we, I, I, one of my goals for by the end of this year is hopefully to watch all the Chucky movies and then maybe not this year, but next year at some point have a Chucky episode. I definitely do want to do that because yes. specifically some of those later ones, like the seed of Chucky and bride of oh, Chucky, yes. uh, they look like they're fun. Like they're, they're, they look really they fun. So, yeah. The type of definitely, thing really definitely have a drink or seven as you watch it. And, uh, <laughs> They're they're definitely fun. <laughs> well, the only one I've seen, the, the only one I've ever seen is the the remake with uh, Aubrey Plaza. Oh, so, wait, have you never seen the original Child's Play? No, no, <gasps> no. So, oh, yeah. So there's definitely some gaps in my horror knowledge, and that's a big one. So I definitely want to go back and watch. Like I said, like I, I usually don't like to watch through like the entirety of franchises, but I feel that that one with some of those later releases, it'll be worth it. So I feel like I'm going to do that for that one. Yeah, I'll, we'll I'll be, I'll join you for that for sure. Yeah, no, you're definitely yeah. on that one because I know, those I know what, great. I, what, a, what a child's play fan you are. But perfect. Yeah. So like I said, we got about five minutes left. So any other notes for you gentlemen that you wanted to get off your chest? I didn't, I don't have a note, but I have a question because I never have seen it, but have either of you seen the Twilight Zone movie? Because isn't this mm. remade yes. in the movie? Mm-hmm. I, yep. I'm curious what it's like. Is it just a one-to-one kind of remake of this, or what is it? I'm just curious. It's I been a while really, for me. Yeah, I know, because they do this and 20, uh, Mantra at 20,000 feet or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because that's Sean I, I Lithgow think, in that one. That's always the one I remember the most. I don't remember yeah, this same. as well. It's, 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 it's been a while since I've seen it, so I'd have to rewatch it, unfortunately. Well, we should have done that before the episode, honestly. Because uh, it, it's, like, it's fun. It's a fun movie, yeah. I, it's a fun like movie for sure. It, but I feel like watching this episode, is it just showcased, like we were saying, how timeless it is. Because I didn't really feel oh, like sure. this episode needs anything done to it. it no. Just, it's so Out of all the, the way it is. Yeah, out of all the episodes, I feel like this one has probably got the least amount of 60s jank to it for sure. Um, and it just holds up incredibly well. Like you can watch this today and still be frightened. So, and to your, it's a, everything we've been beating over the head about how influential this series is. It's like 
even even obscure episodes are I mean this obviously isn't an obscure episode but you watch any episode and we've just pulled a bunch of references from Parrots and Mines and even this one you see everything from Looper to Chronicle to Brightburn in this and it's it's insane how how influential these these episodes have have been for the last 70 something odd years and to still go in and pull from them because I, I was watching it and I was like wait a minute like this whole the cornfield keeping the kid happy and making sure he doesn't fucking lose his mind it's looper like this is the little kid with the telekinesis and and then you brought a bright burn and it's like you just start thinking of other movies that are like yeah you're definitely they were definitely pulling from this I also love the farm setting that is yeah. so creepy to me always yeah, there's something I don't know. Like if you live like well, you're a Bigfoot believer, right? In general, Paris. So yes. like that's your prime yes. Bigfoot uh, opportunity sightings is probably in the farm <laughs> farmland. So that's like you right there. Yeah, I just like we always saying I'm gonna wish you to the cornfield, and I just think that is. I, I would love to. It's it's very awesome how in the episode they don't show you what that means. Yeah. It could be literal. You don't know what it means. I mean, it could just be, I'm going to strike you down, teleport you to your death. I Or it could literally be some cornfield somewhere. And then what happens to these people? We know we don't know because they're also scared of it. So they don't really know either, I guess. Right. It's kind of a horrific thought to think of like just some random person stumbling upon this town, walking through these cornfields and just catching like a guy who's a human jack in the box. <laughs> you right? know what I mean? So and there's something like, a, <laughs> like a mountain of bodies and then a human yeah. jack in the box. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and a dog. There's, there's and a, dog a, and a mountain of dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Some dogs. He doesn't oh, like no. the dogs. Parental rescue all the dogs. Oh, no. Yeah, that, that part pain me because it like yelps when he does whatever to it. I'm like, oh, no. I know. That's that? so sad. Little kid, slap him! Someone slap him! So, yeah, someone hit him in the back of the head. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, final thoughts on the episode, boys. We're about to wrap up here. Anything else? I give it a, I give it a five. Human Jack in the boxes out of five. It's <laughs> a great rating. Yeah. And that, oh, go ahead, Perry. Yeah, so that's a that's a scary visual. I don't think we even need one, but I guess we're gonna suck with five. Yeah, this is this is definitely the most. I love all the episodes that we talked about today. This is definitely the like the quintessential episode. Mm-hmm. I feel one I'll of the one sure. of the one of the handful. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to stop the timer there a little bit early, but that's okay. We had a great conversation today about three really fantastic Twilight Zone episodes. You can't go wrong with any of them or with most of the series. So you know, go ahead, give it a watch. And uh, let us know what you think. We do have a YouTube channel over at An Hour to Kill, so you're free to comment there. Probably going to set up a Twitter soon when I stop being lazy. Who knows? Uh, DB, DB, blah, blah, blah. Damon, DB, do you have any final thoughts for today? (laughs) Uh, I actually thank you, Parrot, for coming on, man. This was such a cool topic, and uh, it's just fun having another Twilight Zone fan on. And if anybody is, you know, hasn't, hasn't listened yet take i'm just gonna pimp you a little bit but listen to parrot's other uh podcast uh backlog uh backlog brain rot as a tongue twister uh it's him and and two other friends really cool dudes and it's a it's a it's a fun show i listen to it and uh yeah just throwing it out there if anybody's got some another hour to kill beyond this one listen to that yeah i i appreciate it i'm really i was really excited to be on you know this is i really enjoyed listening to your guys show i mean horror is uh, horror, horror is one of my favorite things so you know anytime I could be on I would love to be back and 
you know, maybe we can sneak a couple of more Twilight Zone topics in sometime because, I mean, we talked about three episodes and how many are there? 150 oh. something. So We're 153 uh, to go. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. We, could, we could probably talk about oh, we could talk about it all the time. I love talking about this show, especially Absolutely. with you know, this fun. This will definitely not be the last time Parrot is on. I promise you that he will be back on the show for sure. Um, and yeah, definitely check out Backlog Brain Rot. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, honestly, these days, but that is one I try to make the time for because it is very enjoyable and it comes Appreciate highly it. recommended from me. Uh, Parrot, anything else? Final thoughts for yourself? Was that it? No, nope, uh, that's that's it. That's uh, it. Yeah, ch- check out that's our show. It. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be on again one day and talk some more horror fantastic all right well from everyone here at an hour to kill productions i don't know why i just said that you all have a wonderful evening and uh you know try to stay out of the cornfield shall you bye-bye see ya